You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Outlaws and Gunslingers back here with another episode. We just finished up the riots in L.A. of 1992. Mm-hmm. So after all that, brings us to, we're moving on to a little uh, different topic here, I would say, right? Not really different, because we covered thieves and thefts before. Right. Well, but outlaws. this is, this but is this the first. Not bombings or uh, alcohol running or this is the first illegal drug activity this or, is the first theft of this kind or, that we've uh covered. or wearing zoot suit while spanish or while latino right um this is uh art this takes us to the isabella stewart garner uh museum theft early morning 18th of march of 1990 13 works of art were stolen from the isabella stewart gardner museum in Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where we are here, folks, today. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was constructed under the guidance of art collector Isabella Stewart Gardner. He lived from the years 1840 to 1924. Well, Good Isabella life. is a hell of a uh, uh, male name. She lived. She lived. She lived. This museum housed all of her art collection, of her personal art collection. The museum opened to the public in 1903. Gardner continued to expand the collection and arrange it until she died in 1924. She left the museum with a $3.6 million endowment and her stipulated that, oh, and her will stipulated that the arrangement of the artwork should not be altered and no items were to be sold nor bought into the collection. So she wanted from 1924 on, she wanted whatever was in there when whatever she died. Whatever was in this. Nothing era. be touched, nothing be, um, right. you don't add nothing she to was this smart. collection. She made a museum, basically, of her stuff. Like, from here on out, people can only come here and pay to see it. <laughs> well, that, well, well, as you'll see, she had some pretty. Uh, um, rare and famous artwork in here, right. but also oh, yeah. that um, Isabella you're not Garner. adding no more no, no. no more pieces to this collection. No, this, I put it together the way I want right. it. You guys ain't right. added nothing this to it. This is it right here. From here on out, this mm-hmm. is how you display my well, work. as most things by the 80s, uh, the museum was running low on funds. Right. This financial strain left the museum in poor condition. Oh, geez. It lacked a climate control system. Oh, it didn't have air conditioner. Which is, no, a climate control right. to uh, make sure the air's not Breaking right. down the, the paintings. Whole, the whole system, the right. HVAC system. Yes. Um, and an insurance policy and was in need of basic building maintenance. Right. Well, after the FBI uncovered a plot by Boston criminals to rob the museum in 1982, the museum allocated funds to improve security. Why? That makes perfect sense. These criminals are like, dude, they're going to shut this shit down. Most likely this is going to be put somewhere into a... Uh, like a storage unit, and nobody ever see this stuff again. This stuff's worth some money. Not only that, these guys' the security is from literally the 40s or 50s or whatever right. they right. installed it. So they're probably thinking, dude, this nobody gold, will know. Right, this is a gold mine. We can just get this done. Among these improvements were 60 infrared motion detectors oh. and a closed circuits television system. Mm, OCCTV. Yep. Consisting of four cameras placed around the building's perimeter. That's it. On each side of the building, I right. guess. Right, that's it. And you can see each side of the building. You really don't need to see what's inside unless you see what's going inside, right? But you still got to know what's inside. Still. That's legal, right? All we see is this person going inside. But don't worry, they've been working there for 30 years. Yeah, but how did all the art stuff get out and we didn't know about? And the cameras just shut off out of nowhere. I don't know. Still, even if you had four cameras placed on each four corners of the building outside, you're not catching the middle of the building. Or the roof. Or right. There were no cameras installed within the building, hmm. as the Board of Trustees thought installing such equipment in the historical building would be too expensive. Jeez. Uh, hey, it'd be too expensive, but we have multi-million dollar paintings in here and hey, shit. I mean, hey. Oh, oh, just, just, just to be just curious, how much is all this insured for? Oh, dude, it's like uh, $20, billion, $20 million. Nothing. More than that, right? Nothing at this point. Nothing insured. They inside there was insured? They just said they didn't have an insurance policy. Oh, right. Wow. Wow. There were no cameras installed within 
as we just right. said, as the board of trustees thought, as we just said, such equipment wouldn't would be too expensive. More and security. His, well, it was a historical building too, so right. maybe you had to have. Uh, you probably had to jump through a shit ton of hoops, so you're not right. making sure that you're not drilling through walls. Right. You're not you're not um, damaging structural uh, historical right. stuff in it. You well, know? you know what they said. Okay, guess what. We don't need all this camera and stuff, but we will hire more security guards. Yeah. So they did that. Despite the security improvements, the only way police could be summoned to the museum was with a button at the security desk. I mean, they could have ran a couple extra lines. <laughs> Somewhere, right? <laughs> Other museums at the time had failed safe systems, which required night watchmen to make hourly phone calls to the police to indicate all was well. well I mean, that would be the way to get it, do it. I I'd wonder say, why. I'd say half hourly. So this lady basically got screwed well she's not even alive right? right but i'm saying they screw this late she must not have been very well liked because they're like man this don't mean shit or the art museum was uh number 136 on the priorities of uh boston we said how much was it 3.8 million she left 3.6 endowment but that's not gonna go very far in 1924 this she is left right but this is in the 80s so that means it has to be worse more than 3.6 million she left an endowment just money. That's how much money they she left them to maintain it. Right. All that plus, shit was gone by the eighties. Yeah. Plus the worthness of everything there. Well, yeah, but it's the they're not going to sell the paintings. It's in her will. They can't. Right. So it's not like they could sell a painting right. to uh, fund something. Right. Right. Like so that, all her money, all, all her money, probably ran out by the damn sixties. Yeah, and people ain't really coming to see that. Right. They can't keep up with the building. They can't. In the eighties, who the hell's going to art museums? Three point eight million. That probably only lasted. To the 80s. But maybe not clearly. even then. Well, clearly. Well, an independent security consultant, or consultant, an independent security consultant reviewed the museum's operations in 1988 and determined they were on par with most, most other museums, but recommended improvements. Really? The security director at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston also suggested security upgrades to the museum. Right. But that's what I'm saying. How are they going to pay for it if they're not getting the traffic? Clearly, they weren't, they weren't getting the traffic. Because of the museum's financial strain... And Isabella Stewart Gardner's wishes against any major renovation. Oh no, she said you can't even touch. You this can't building. even rebuild or she goes remodel the rooms. She's like nothing. like my art, I want this building to be. I mean, I get it. Whatever. I get it. The board of trustees did not approve Artists these. Are weird. Because of that, the board of trustees did not approve these security enhancements. Uh, she's not an artist. <laughs> Who? Isabella. She's just a collector. Well, she she yeah, didn't paint these. But she's no, she didn't paint anything. I know, but she's an artist. No. If if you, she's not an artist. If you fall in love with a certain type of art, and Doesn't then mean you're an artist. To, but then she wants this whole building. Yeah, she's she has a mind of an artist. That's what I'm trying to say. No, she's not an artist. She's a rich snobby bitch right. that, that that decided whatever she did was perfect <laughs> that's, enough, that's and it would be true. forever, forever that's true. It would be forever good. Right. That's most likely the the, the true point. She there. Sounds like a damn moron to me. Well, how, I don't know. how are you going to leave in your will? You can never ever uh, renovate or make the improvements to this building because after a hundred years. This will still be the same as when I died. What how, what kind of moron? What would she do says that? is renovate or make improvements, but she she didn't say you couldn't fix stuff that breaks. Renovate. No, that's renovate means you fix and stuff that don't need to be fixed. If something breaks, you fix it. That's all she's saying. Don't fucking improve anything. If well, I gotta say the F word. If a, if a oh, I'm sorry. If a light goes out, change the light bulb. <laughs> yes, if a water line breaks, imagine if she said that. If a water line breaks, imagine if she the said that line. in her will. She was like, <laughs> right. anything that happens, you just leave it as is. Right. But if a like a water line breaks or a light bulb oh, blows or a window gets broke or anything like that, yeah, fix it. But don't touch nothing else. I get it. I get it, bud. I totally <laughs> I think, get it. I think you're looking a little too hard into it, bud. No, I think that's exactly what there's. She was thinking. <laughs> no. Well, the board. She didn't want her design or uh, anything to be. She didn't want the way she designed the rooms to be touched. So she was like, "I'm going to put that they can't she, do it." She thought of herself as an artist herself. No, she thought of herself as a, a, a highly more smart person than she clearly was because she didn't think ahead to the future. Sixty, seventy years after she'd be dead. Well, the board also denied a request from the security director for higher guard salaries in a bid to attract more qualified applicants for the job. Oh, jeez. Whoever's on this board is a bunch of morons. The current guards were paid slightly above minimum wage. I mean, really, though, they probably weren't getting no traffic there. You're not going to pay a guard $50 an hour to walk this grounds and not see a soul for days. They're protecting hundred, literally $100 million paintings. Very true. It's very true. I get it. 
I can see their point. There's and both I, arguments. There. I bet you it got. That's both arguments. I bet there. you it got pretty good traffic, as much as an art museum could, right? right. I don't know if I got that much. Well, the security flaws of the museum were an open secret among the guards. They all knew. Uh, and they, like this place, who were they? Who were they blabbing about right. it to in the local bar? And especially a guard, right? Right. There, who knows who these people are? Well. The robbery, of course, you know, is going to occur, and it occurs at the early hours of Sunday, March 18th of 1990. The thieves were first witnessed around 12.30 a.m. by several St. Patrick's Day revelers. Oh, they did that same type. Oh, yeah, right. Well, they did it. Yeah, so everybody was out. Drunk, though. And it's in Boston. Yeah, but they're drunk. Yeah, but it's in Boston, and they know the cops are probably busy dealing with dealing with drunk ass mother effers on uh whatever street right Uh, any street in boston they were leaving a party (laughs) st patrick's day revelers leaving a party near the museum and apparently they were witnessed by a couple of drunkers uh the two men were disguised as police officers and parked in a hatchback (laughs) and a regular hatchback too on uh, palace road about 100 feet from the side entrance of the museum the witnesses believe them to be policemen, obviously. So, obviously, uh, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and whatever the hell it is. And, and plus, these witnesses got a bunch are, of uh, right, drunk right. St. Patrick's Day partiers, and all you're going to see is police uniforms. You're going to be like, oh, shit. Well, the museum guards on duty that night of March 17th were Rick Abbott, he was 23 years old, and Randy Hestand, who was 25 years old. Abbott was a regular night watchman and was Headstand's first time on the night shift. Oh, first time. First, mm-hmm. How's that? That looks suspicious. First time on a night shift and he so, gets robbed. Right. <laughs> but both these guys are basically just walking the fucking whole grounds together. So there weren't two Maybe. Bas- they're just There's probably one at the desk and one that made nah, rounds. I think, that, I think Abbott was probably showing them those nah. rounds. You know what I mean? Nah. So they probably... Wherever these guys are at, they could have been somewhere in the cellar. And Abbott's like, yeah, I spent a lot of time here. The security policy maintained that one guard patrolled the galleries with a flashlight and a walkie-talkie. While the other uh, security guard sat at the security desk. Oh, what did I just say? Only one at a time. Abbott went on patrol first. During his patrol, fire alarms sounded off in different rooms in the museum. But he could not locate any fire or smoke. Hmm. So the fire alarms didn't alert the fire department. Usually they call or um, will just come, right? You, I don't know back then. Right. If they did, you have to call. Well, Abbott returned to the security room where the fire alarm control panel indicated smoke in multiple rooms. Oh, no. He assumed some type of malfunction and shut down the panel. Oh. He went back on patrol and before he completed his rounds, made a quick stop at the side entrance of the museum, briefly opening the side door and shutting it again. Okay. He did not tell Hestand he was doing this or why he did it. Oh, really? Abbott, complete Abbott. Completed his tour and returned to the security desk around 1 a.m., at which point Hestand, he stand, began his round. So Abbott is probably just thinking, okay, this is, you know, I've been here for months or years, however long. And, oh, this is weird. Man. Wait, that's kind of suspicious, though. I wonder if that's going to be. Um, no, I just think you. No, I, I wonder if that's going to be. Um, I don't know. I think it was just. But that, I wonder if that's going to be introduced right, into later the investigation on. later. Like, right, later why'd on. you open the door and you didn't tell Hesbath uh, uh, about it? The way I'm thinking of right now is this Abbott guy, he's just been doing this for months and months that's and just months. Just what? Right. He'd right. open a door and just be like, man, all right. And he was like, oh, that's weird that these uh, smoke alarms going off, but there's no smoke anywhere. Hey, it's just a fuck. This, this building's old. Right. Right. Okay, I get it. As of right now, okay, it makes sense. It's just a ne- negligence. One twenty a.m. The thieves drove up to the side entrance. They so, parked. So Ag- Agath, a bath, at, at Abbath one, at one. I think his name's a bath. A bath. I think it's Abbath. You can say Abbath. He went to the. He, he, he went back to the guards. Guards thing at one. Switch and now patrol. Hestand Hes is right. the one on patrol. Switch patrol with Hestand at one a.m. Well, one twenty a.m. The thieves drove up to the side entrance. They parked, walked up to the side door. They rang the buzzer, which connected them to Abbath through an intercom. They explained to Abbath that they were police investigating a disturbance and needed to be buzzed in. Abbott could mm. see them on the closed circuit television wearing that appeared to be a real police uniforms. Okay, so what other right. right. So the, the the alarms had been going off. 
Right, right. So in his mind, he's like, well, maybe this is true. But why would they use the side door? Right. Well, he was not aware of any disturbance, but theorized that it was St. Patrick's Day. Perhaps a reveler had climbed over the fence and someone had seen and reported it. Right. So he didn't even connect the fire alarm to this either. So No. Yeah, it's a little weird. Abbott let the men in at 1.24 a.m. Okay. The thieves were let into a locked foyer that separated the side door from the museum. Okay. They approached Abbott at his desk and asked if anyone else was in the museum and to bring them down. Abbott radioed Hestan to return to the security desk. I mean, I get it. This guy, I mean, like I said, from the very beginning, it was set up for this to happen that way. Because the lady, Mrs. Isabella... She didn't want nothing of this building to be any type of anything, right? I don't think that was in 1924 when she died, though. So what I'm saying, though, <laughs> this is nine, 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 This is a nine, 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 nine. This is 1990, right? <laughs> I mean, but I don't think in the beginning it was set up for this. Just the right. thieves knew what the hell was going on. Right. Yeah, because it would always be this way. Because they would never. This was never, ever, ever like a main attraction. Either or. This Abbott guy uh, um, sounds pretty stupid, right? It was just, yeah, he was just too comfortable with his job and was like, oh, these police are here, right, whatever. Mm. Well, no, Abbott, no ask for identification or nothing. Right. Abbott noticed around this time that the mustache on the taller man appeared fake. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe he is smarter than we thought he was. Wow. If he's going to uh, know that a mustache is fake, right? The shorter man told Abbott that he looked familiar. But they may have a warrant for his arrest. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. What is happening? It's all starting to unfold into yeah, comic. Yeah, this is just stupid. Comedic dude. garbage. So he's like, you look familiar. We may have a warrant I think we for might have arrest. a warrant for you. <laughs> so he told Abbott oh, to come out no. from behind the desk, and he said, provide me some identification. Mm. And Abbott was like, all right, all right. Here's my ID. Stepping away from the desk where the only panic button They're to alert Boston. police. Why are but, you doing um, country accents? Right. Well, Abbott complied, stepping away from the desk where the only panic button to alert police was. Of course, which somebody they obviously have known. Right. The shorter man forced Abbott against the wall, spread his legs, and handcuffed him. Oh, my. They handcuffed him. But, yeah. Right. Handcuffed. Right. right. Abbott noticed that he was not frisked. Oh. <sighs> He's like, wait a minute. Aren't you going to frisk me? Nah. Like, <laughs> we don't need for, to. For what reason? Mike? Well, meanwhile, Hestan walked into the room around this time, and the taller thief turned turned him around and handcuffed him. Wow. Once both guards were handcuffed, the thieves revealed their true intentions to rob the museum and asked the guards to not give them any problems. <laughs> well, they're in handcuffs now. I don't think anything right. can happen. Uh, the thieves wrapped duct tape around the heads and eyes of the guards at oh, this time. Oh, Okay. Dude, this is all the most funkiest, stupidest shit I've ever seen. Everything in my life. that has happened so far is the most funkiest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, but it makes sense though. It does make sense? It does. This Abbott guy is the dumbest dude I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, but it it makes sense. It no, was a building, doesn't make sense. It was a building that nobody cared about. It was artwork that nobody obviously cared about, and there's like, okay, we'll just make this lady's will be. What does that have to do with anything? And we'll hire some loser guards. What does that have to do with anything? That's all they this did. Guards an idiot. For yeah. number one, oh, they appear to be wearing uh, tr- uh, true police right. uniforms, so I'm going to buzz them in. Yeah, clearly they were some stupid-ass guards. And then, oh, I think we might have a warrant out for you. Yeah. Why don't you step behind? No. How about no? <laughs> Once they said that. You should have hit the button and then stepped out. Once they said, I think we might have a warrant out for you, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> for what? <laughs> wait a minute here. You, Literally, all I do is come you to this. came here. I come to this piece of shit job and I go home. What the hell's my warrant for? You came here for a disturbance on the alarm system and right. all of a sudden, I got a warrant out for me? Mm. Yeah. So, pretty dumb people. The whole thing is stupidity. Without asking for directions. Without asking directions. That could be uh, important. Without asking directions, they led the guards into the basement. So they knew where the basement was. How? Where they were handcuffed to the steam pipe and a workbench. The thieves examined the wallets of the guards and explained that they knew where they lived. Like, I got your IDs. I know Mm -hmm. where you live. Do not tell authorities anything. And guess what? In about a year's time from now, you have something fat sitting in your in your mailbox. Oh, so I would have complied. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, all right. It took the thieves less than 15 minutes to subdue the guards. It was now about 1.35 a.m. when they decided to, let's time. And now they're uh, making time their way. To steal. Mm-hmm. The thieves' movements through the museum were recorded in infrared motion detectors. Oh, nice. Steps in the first room they entered, the Dutch room on the second floor, were not recorded until 1.48 a.m. Okay. 
it was 13 minutes after they finished subduing yeah, the what guards. the hell did they do for 13 Perhaps minutes? Perhaps waited to make sure no police were alerted. Right. Yeah, they probably were like, let's chill here, see this if he hit minute. the alarm. Right. We don't know. Right. Uh, as the thieves approached the paintings in the Dutch room, a device began beeping that would normally trip when a patron was too close to a painting. The thief smashed it. Right. And then and I th- bet that device. It would, it would trip to the, the front desk. Yeah, that's what I was that was it. Maybe that, yeah, that is tripped to the front My, desk. But guess what? Guess, what? guess who's at there. the front desk? Not a soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They took the storm on the sea, Galilee, and a lady and gentleman in black. Those two paintings they took, and they threw them on the marble floor, which shattered their fr- glass frames. Mm-hmm. Using a blade, they cut the canvases out of the stretchers, which is uh, which holds them into the right, frame. Hold right? them into the frame. They also removed a large Rembrandt self-portrait oil painting from the wall, but left it leaning against a cabinet. I bet you that was. Decent money. Rembrandt's pretty famous. Well, investigators believe they may have considered it too large to transport, mm. potentially because it was painted on wood, not more durable canvas like the others. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, on wood, you they don't want to, you don't want to uh, do right. that. They can roll up the other shit mm. once they pull it out. I don't know, maybe because oil paintings and shit cracks. You gotta so be right. Yeah, it's true. You gotta be rough with that uh, too. Instead, the thieves took a small postage stamp size self portrait etching by Rembrandt on display beneath the larger pro- portrait. Mm. I don't know what that's gonna do. On the right side of the room, they removed landscape with obelisk and the concert from their frames. Those are also paintings. Yes. They, obviously, this is all art. Right. <laughs> the final piece taken from the room was an ancient Chinese goo. 1.51 a.m. While one thief continued working in the Dutch room, the other entered a narrow hallway, dubbed the short gallery, on the other end of the second floor. The other thief joined soon. In this room, they began removing screws for a frame displaying a... N- uh, Napoleonic flag, likely an effort to steal the flag, obviously. I would uh, say. They appear to have given up partway through this as uh, not all the screws were removed and ultimately only took the exposed eagle finial atop the flagpole. Mm. So you guys all know the little right. eagle that's on right. top of the flagpole. Uh, they also took five Degas sketches from the room. Oh. The, last art, the last work stolen was Ches Tortoni from the Blue Room on the first floor. The museum's motion detectors did not detect any motion within the blue room during the thieves' time in the building. Really? How did they steal it from the blue room then? Right. The only footsteps detected in the room that night were Abbas during the two times he passed through the gallery on his patrol earlier. So how did the painting from the blue room disappear if the only detected footsteps were Abbas? Right. Hmm. Let's see if that comes into play later, huh? <laughs> As the thieves prepared to leave, the thieves checked on the guards one last time, asking if they were comfortable. They're like, mm-hmm. hey, right, you, guys you guys all right? You guys good? We're, yeah, we're good. Then they moved to the security director's office where the where they took the video cassettes that recorded the entrance on the closed circuit cameras and the, the data printouts from the motion detecting equipment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously. The movement data was still captured on a hard drive, obviously, uh, right. which remained untouched. The frame for Ches Tortini was left at the security director's desk. Oh, they took the frame up there with them. <laughs> they were like, we're not done yet, right? Uh, the thieves then moved. See what happened to this frame? This is what happened to you. Right. The thieves then moved to take the artwork out of the museum. The side entrance doors were opened once at 2.40 a.m. and again for the last time at 2.45. Damn, they did that shit in 45 minutes. About an hour. It was um, two. It was one. It was one. 45, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no the robbery lasted 81 minutes from the time they went in right, and um, handcuffed them and then took right, all their... Right, right, right. Uh, the next shift of guards arrived later in the morning and realized something was amiss oh. when they could not establish contact with anyone inside to let them in. Oh. They called in a security director who, upon entering the building with his keys, found nobody at the watch desk and called police. Oh, shit. The police searched the building until they found the guards still tied, tied in, in the, the basement. basement. Nice. <laughs> 13 works were stolen. 1990, the FBI estimated the value of the hall at $200 million and raised this estimate to $500 million by 2000. Late 2000s, some art dealers suggested the hall could be worth $600 million. Jeez, dude. It was considered the highest value museum robbery until it was surpassed by the Dresden Green Vault Burglary in 2019. Highest value museum robbery until 2019. Wow. So the most valuable works... That were taken from the the most valuable works were taken from the Dutch room, right? Which oh. which had no had no infrared crossings. No, the Dutch room was they had uh, stuff from them. The Dutch room, yeah. I thought Dutch room was one with no uh, crossings. No, that was the blue room. Oh, the only the ones room. that was right. uh, right. Abbas. Right, 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 right. Among these was the concert by Dutch painter Vermeer, 
who lived from 1632 to 1635, short life. Right. Uh, one of only 34 paintings attributed to him in, in, in all time. That's priceless, basically. The, the, uh, the painting accounts for half of the hall's value, of estimated at $250 million in 2015. Right. I believe it. Expert believe it may be the most valuable stolen object in the world. Jeez. Oh, wow. In the same room, the thieves targeted works by Dutch painter Rembrandt, from, right. uh, who lived from 1609 to 1669. Man, these guys are young. Wow. These included the storm on the Sea of Galilee, right. his only seascape, and the most valuable of his works stolen that night. His only seascape. Dude, Rembrandt, yeah, Rembrandt was, yeah, he didn't do yeah, see. Estimates have placed its value about $140 million since the robbery. The, the, um, the Rembrandt. Yeah. The other Rembrandt works taken were a lady and gentleman in black and a small poster stamp size self-portrait etching. The latter was previously stolen and returned in 1970. The thieves may oh, have... Oh, wait. So that poster stamp thing was stolen and again. then returned. <laughs> no, right. before this. Right. In 1970. Oh, well, and then they returned it. They were like, well, came across I, got, it, yeah. I feel bad. Right. <laughs> the thieves may have taken landscape with Opslick. Believing it was a Rembrandt, but it wasn't. It was long attributed to him until it was quietly credited to his pupil, Govert Flink, who lived between 1615 and 1600. Still young. Man, that's ridiculous. 45 years old. It was quietly credited to his pupil a few years before the heist took place. Right. But these guys didn't know and still thought it was a Rembrandt. So Right, that's what it was. Uh, the last item taken from the Dutch room was a bronze goo. Goo goo, about 10 inches tall, traditionally used for serving wine oh, okay. in ancient China. The so beaker, a, a beaker yeah. was one of the oldest works in the museum, dating to the Shang Dynasty in the 12th century BC. That's got to be worth some money, right? Its estimated value is only several thousand dollars. What? Come I mean, on. They probably have a lot of those from hey, the Shang yeah, Dynasty, dude. Uh, in the short gallery, five sketches by French artist Edgar Degas, who lived from 80, 1834 to 1917, okay. were stolen as well. They were each done on paper less than a square foot in size and made with pencils, inks, washes, and charcoal. So probably worth like nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, these guys were, I mean, these arts were relatively little value compared to the other work stolen. Worth under about $100,000 combined. Yeah. So I don't even know why they stole them, to be honest right. with you. They thought maybe. It's still 100000 Also taken was a 10-inch tall finial, finial, uh, French Imperial Eagle finale from the corner of a framed flag. For Napoleon's Imperial Guard. So it was a little thing on top of the flag post, guys. There is a $100,000 word for information leading to the return of the finale alone. Video. Right. It possibly appeared like gold to thieves. Yeah, it's probably bronze. Right. Ches Totini by French painter Edouard Monet from 1832 to 1883. Monet? Monet. Was taken from the Blue Room. It was the only item taken from the first floor. So a Monet. A oh, Monet. 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 Um, Is that Monet? Monet. Monet? Monet. Um, Edouard Monet? Um, and remember, the Blue Room is only recorded. Um, infrared is from the security guard himself. So right. The eclectic mix of items has puzzled experts. Okay, right. While That's some true. of the paintings were valuable, the thieves passed other valuable works by Raphael, Botticelli and Michelangelo. Oh no! Really? And left them undisturbed. Really, opting to take relatively valueless items like the goo and the finial. Mm. The thieves never entered the third floor where Titans, the Rape of Europa, hung one of the most valuable paintings in the city. Are you serious? Wow! So dude. what is happening here? Now I'm confused. Are these guys morons, or either that, or are they just... I mean, they did get walk away with five hundred million dollars right. worth of That's stuff. That's what I'm saying. They were like, "We want these the ones," and then we're not gonna. Right? They weren't greedy. In case they probably had the plan in case. Well, the easiest. Why would you go all? But well, they probably the had floor. the plan in case some shit went wrong. Right. They could easily go. They're not gonna go all the way up to the third right. floor. Right. The selection of works and the brutish ways the thieves handled the artwork has led investigators to believe the thieves were not experts commissioned to steal particular works. Right, because how many people, how rich guys are like, I want you to break right. them in and here and be few this. Flawless. Right. Be flawless. And these guys just cut it. Right, they didn't give a shit. <laughs> As Gardner's will decreed, nothing in her collection should be moved. The empty frames for the stolen paintings remain hanging in their respective locations mm. in a museum as placeholders for their potential return. Really? Because of the museum's low funds and lack of insurance policy, the director solicited help from Solsby's and Christie's auction houses to post a reward of $1 million here's within three days. $1 million. Worth way more than that. Mm. This was increased to $5 million in 1997. Yeah. In 2017, it was doubled to $10 million 
with an expiration date set for the end of the year. Wow. This reward was extended following an outpouring of tips from the public. Uh-huh. It is the largest bounty ever offered by a private institution. Really? The reward is for information that leads directly to the recover of all of their items in good condition. Right. Federal prosecutors, that's where they get you to. They right. could find them and it's all mutilated. Well, but they're like, well, guess what? It's not in good condition. Federal prosecutors have stated that anyone who willingly returns the items will not be prosecuted. I mean, you really are. Right. Uh, if, it's, if it's stated, then right. you can't. Right. Uh, the statute of limitations expired in 95 as well, so the thieves and anyone who partic- participated in the theft cannot be prosecuted anyways. So That's true. Wow. That's very true. Okay, and we look at some police sketches. They look like police officers. All right, I would say. The they mustaches. said the taller man, which I'm guessing him. With the glasses and stuff. Yeah, they said it had the fake mustache. That looks mm-hmm. fake. It does. The Federal Bureau of Investigation. They even drew it fake. Right. <laughs> the FBI took immediate control. No, this is where it all goes to hell. <laughs> Yep, they took immediate control of the case on the grounds that the artwork could likely cross state lines. Probably will. So that is like, we're going to take this. Investigators have called the case unique for his lack of strong physical evidence. Mm -hmm. The thieves did not leave behind footprints or hair or fingerprints. And it is inconclusive if the fingerprints left at the scene, like I said, were the thieves or museum employees. I don't know how that's inclusive, but... Maybe they don't have them fingerprints (sighs) of the employees. I don't know why you wouldn't. Right, all you do is get them. Right, so stupid <laughs> right like how is that inclusive it's the fbi guess, of course guess, now now it all just now i guess partials or something you really can't well, now yeah but now it seems like once this case got to fbi they're like <laughs> what are we even investigating this for the fbi has done some dna analysts in the years following at his advancements in the field grew some of the evidence has been lost among their... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy oh, shit. My that doesn't goodness. sum up the FBI. I Are don't you... know what sums up the FBI. It was an easy open and shut case, as Lee and Corey would say, until the FBI was like, well, they might have took that across Please. them state lines there, so we're going to take over. Please. But guess what? Some, ah, some of this evidence. Wow. Yeah, I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ah, That's some stupidity. Jeez. The guards and witnesses in the street described one thief as about five foot nine to five foot ten inches in his late 30s with a medium build. And the other one is six foot to six foot one inches in his early 30s with a heavier build. Could be anybody in the world. As far as suspects, we're about to run down a list of who they uh, considered them. Obviously, the first one, security guard Rick Abbott was investigated early because of his suspicious behavior on the night of the theft. Yeah, I think he had something to do with that When on patrol, he briefly opened and shut a side door, a move which some believe could have been a signal to the thieves parked outside. Good man. Abbott told authorities that he did this routinely to ensure the door was locked. One of Abbott's colleagues told journalists that if if he had opened the door routinely, as he maintained, supervisors would have seen it on computer printouts and put a stop to it. Mm. So now, so now we got... Other security guards that work there telling him, saying he's he's never done this before. Yeah, but the only one who was there was the other guy and him, the new guy. But the door sends off a signal when it's open. Yeah, just the other guy that's there. No, on the, on the printout. Yeah, yeah, but there's a- on the printout. And it didn't show. No, I said it would have seen it on computer printouts and put, and a, put stop a stop to, to it. it. Right. So he's clearly before, never done it before. Right. Oh. I'm thinking you're right, but the mm. guy. More suspicion has been drawn from the museum's motion detectors, which did not detect any movement in the blue room. Which we said. Which housed one of the most expensive pieces, right. uh, the Chez Tortoni. During the 81 minutes, thieves were in the museum. So they never even stepped foot in there. Never. The only footsteps in that room were Abbott's. Mm-hmm. Twice. Supposedly during the security patrol. Twice. Twice. A security consultant reviewed the motion detector equipment several weeks after the theft. And determined that they were operating correctly. Okay. Abbott maintains his innocence. And the FBI agent overseeing the case in its early years determined the guards were too incompetent and foolish to have put like we were saying. <laughs> I was saying. Right. I mean, and now, like it, we're saying. and now it runs back to right. these guys are idiots. But, I'm but still, maybe Abbott right. acted like the perfect idiot. But he is an idiot. And it was just like. No. Maybe, maybe he people. acted like the perfect idiot and was in on it. Or, with it. or was an idiot and, and ran his mouth at a bar one night to some. Motherfuckers have got some some pull. And they were like, listen here, you're going to, uh, I guess. Right. In 2015, the FBI released a security video from the museum on the night before the theft, showing Abbott buzzing in an, an unidentified man. Mm. 
in the museum to converse at the security desk. What? Abbott told investigators he could not recall the incident or recognize the man, and so the FBI requested the public's assistance. How can you not recall that incident? This was in 2015. Yeah, but how many times did you ever... Oh, no, they probably had the video then, but they just released it in 2015? Right, yeah, I'm saying, how many times you buzz in somebody in that that building? You know buzz in nobody. Several former museum guards came forward and said the stranger was Abbott's boss, the museum's deputy security chief. Okay, so so we're good on that, right? Well... Apparently nothing came of a bath. Whitey Bulger, which we will get to this guy here in about whenever. Who knows? It'll be within the next two years. Was one of the most powerful crime bosses in Boston in this era. Heading the Winter Hill Gang. Mm -hmm. He claimed he did not organize the heist. And in fact, sent his agents out in an attempt to determine who did. Because the robbery was committed on his turf. And he wanted to be paid Right, he wanted his he, money. he wanted some uh, right. cutback from it. This dude's like, oh well, hell, but even no. or though uh, the, the two most famous um, paintings in the world, right? Pretty much one of the two most famous paintings in the world. Where are you going to sell them, right? Except to a to a like a private, right? Underground, like some, rich collector or something. like that's that. That's why you know? maybe the government is involved uh, here. I don't know. Mm. FBI agent Thomas McShane investigated Bulger for his involvement. He determined that Bogger's strong ties with the Boston police could explain how the thieves acquired legitimate police uniforms. I mean, when you're that or type of guy. perhaps that real police were arranged to do the heist. Mm. That could be, too. Right. Bogger also had relations with the Irish Republican Army, the IRA. McShane identified the bogus trip into the fire alarm ahead of the heist, a calling card of the IRA and the rival Auster Volunteer Force. Mm. So, yeah. They, right. Well, nobody's talking about that, too. We've, we forgot about that. Right. They tripped the, the alarms alarm. purposely. Purposely. Right. Just to, so. Oh, you know. So if anything else were to come out the mirror, they No, they know. did it purposely to. Right. For them to show up and be like, hey, we had a call of a disturbance or whatever. Right. So, right. Both organizations had agents in Boston at this very time. And both had demonstrated capability in the past of pulling off art heists. McShane's investigation of Bulger and the IRA did not produce any evidence to tie them to the theft. According to Charlie Hill, a retired art and antiques investigator for Scotland Yard, he said Bulger gave the gardener works to the IRA and they are most likely in Ireland. Hmm. Well, I don't know about him. Right. In 1994, museum director Ann Howley received an anonymous letter hey. from someone who claimed to be attempting to negotiate a return of the artwork. The writer explained that they were in a third party negoti- they that they were a third party negotiator. Did not know the identity of the thieves. Uh, they explained that the artwork was stolen to reduce a prison sentence, but as the opportunity had passed, there was no longer a motive to keep the artwork, and they wanted to negotiate a return. What? Well, this sounds like an, uh, somebody trying to get some right. money. That don't even make no sense. The writer explained that the artwork was being held in a non-common law country under climate control conditions. Hmm. They wanted immunity for themselves and all others involved. Well, it's already, you don't need immunity. It's already been involved. It's already been it's coming out. Statues of limitations are gone. Right. So they already done told you this. And they wanted $2.6 million in return That's for the it. artwork. That's it. Right. Yeah, get worth, out of here. And it's worth, what, five, six hundred million? Yeah. Which would be sent to an offshore bank account at the same time the art was handed over. Mm. Yeah, these guys are some idiots. If the museum was interested in negotiating... They should print a coded message in the Boston Globe, they said. (laughs) (laughs) What is this? Oh, my goodness. To establish credence, the writer conveyed information only known by the museum and FBI at the time. Maybe it was somebody on the inside again there. I don't know. This is weird. (laughs) Wait, wait. This is weird. That last sentence there is what? I was about to write at how stupid these idiots were. And then like, wait. Don't well, uh, know this information. The, the is... museum director Howley felt this was a strong lead. She contacted the FBI, who then contacted the Globe, and the coded message was printed oh. in the May first, nineteen ninety four edition of the Boston Globe. Right. Howley received a second letter a few days later, in which the writer acknowledged the museum was interested in negotiating, but had become fearful of what they perceived was a massive investigation by federal and oh state authorities to determine their identity. Obviously. The hell you think's gonna happen? Right. The writer explained that they needed time to evaluate their options, but Holly never heard from the writer again. Yeah, I don't think they were. Yeah, they, this dude, whoever did it, right, whoever did right. it, panicked and like, right. I mean, this is not such a good idea. Like, oh shit, we got another, we heard back. Yeah, from this right. guy. <laughs> I didn't oh. think anything was gonna happen. Oh shit. Hmm. Brian McDevitt was a con man from Boston who tried to rob the high collection in Glens Falls, New York, in eight, 1981. Hmm. He dressed up as a FedEx driver, carried handcuffs and duct tape. 
and planned to steal a Rembrandt. He was also... I don't understand right. about people who rob uh, artwork. You're not going to sell them in an open market. No, somebody's... You're not going to sell them at an no, auction. Somebody's obviously, obviously, I'm yeah, saying that they're either somebody, yeah. either a private collector with right. millions upon millions yes. of dollars has hired them to do That's it, exactly or they it know yeah. that they could sell it to, to somebody, somebody like that. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. Because yeah. you're not selling it in, the, right. in anywhere. Right. So stupid. Stupidity. He was also a known flag aficionado and fit the description of the larger robber, except... For his thinning red hair. Yeah, that's got to be a right, a red red flag. It's got to be a red hair. Red hair. <laughs> the parallels to Gardner case fascinated the FBI, so they interviewed him in the late 1990. Well, of course, he denied any involvement and refused to take a polygraph. Ooh, the FBI. Right, the FBI ran his fingerprints, but did not match any of those at the crime scene. He probably refused to take a polygraph because they're going to ask him about other. Exactly. Shit. Right. McDevitt later moved to California and conned his way into television and film writing. Oh. I what didn't know he conned his way. What did he write? <laughs> he conned his way. He died. Why? Because this guy ended up being successful just because he was wanted. <laughs> Not wanted. He was questioned. He was questioned. So he conned his way into being TV. <laughs> <laughs> conned wow. his way into television and film writing. I wonder what he wrote. This guy was just a known uh, guy, man. That this allowed a guy away with all this shit, he right? He died in 2004, though. Jeez. Yeah, who knows? So he wrote, like, nothing major or did nothing. That so we know of, right? Okay, but still. FBI announced significant progress in their investigation, March 2013. So this is 23 years later, and these guys are still on the case, dude. Well, they reported with a high degree of confidence that they identified the thieves, which they believed were members of a criminal organization based in the Mid-Atlantic and New England area. They also felt with that same confidence that the artwork was transported to the Connecticut and Philadelphia in the years following the theft. With an attempted sale in Philadelphia in 2002. Hmm. Like they made it a, a, a 20 year thing. Or do these now. And 20 years later, we're going to sell these. 12. 1982. 1990. Was it 1990? 1990. Okay. Their knowledge of what happened after this is limited. And they requested the public's help to locate and return the artwork. Hmm. Again. Again. In 2015, the FBI stated both these were deceased. Oh, geez. Though the FBI did not publicly identify any individuals, sources familiar with the investigation said they were associated with a gang from Dorster or Dorchester. Right. Uh, the gang was loyal to Boston Mafia boss Frank Salemi uh, and ran their operations out of an automobile repair shop run by criminal it was mafia related. Carmelo Merlino. Man, makes sense. Merlino's associates may have gained knowledge of the museum's weaknesses after gangster Louis Royce case it as early as 1981. And he heard the motherfucker in the bar mm, talking about how... Could have been. I'm telling you. He devised plans with an associate to light up smoke bombs and rush the galleries amidst the confusion. 1982, when undercover FBI agents were investigating Royce and his associates for an unrelated art theft. Dang. So they're already investigated for an art yeah, theft. Yeah, this is the one that the FBI uncovered... Right. When we, early in the episode that we mentioned, right? Remember? While they're investigating another art that they learned of their interest in robbing the Gardner Museum. Right. And more the museum and the gang's is, plan. This is what This is what caused the museum to add the infrareds right. and the uh, cameras on the okay. outside. Right. Royce was in prison at the time of the robbery, though. Right. Royce shared his plan with others and believed associate Stephen Rossetti may have ordered the robbery or shared with someone. That would else. Mm. Oh, my goodness. I mean, come on. Among these associated with the Merlino gang were Robert Garente and Manchester, Connecticut gangster Robert Gentile. I always thought this had this had organized crime mafia written all over. I don't know. Not if you're going to cut it up like that. The way they, they did. Just cut them right out of the thing. Dumb. Well, Garente died from cancer in 2004, but his widow, Elaine, uh, told the FBI in 2010 that her husband had previously owned some of the paintings. Oh. She claimed that when her husband got sick with cancer in the early 2000s, he gave the paintings to Gentile for safekeeping. Uh, Gentile denied the accusations, claiming he was never given them and knew nothing of their whereabouts. Of course, of course he would say that. Yeah. Federal authorities indicted Gentile on drug charges in 2012, likely an attempt to pressure Gentile for information uh, about so the garden. They're like, well, let's get him on drug charges. Maybe, maybe I guarantee in the interrogation, right. they were like, Tell us where these paintings are. We'll, just, we'll let you off. goes away, right? Mm-hmm. He submitted to a polygraph test. And why would you not? They said you're right. not going to get charged for the paintings after all this time, right? Right. I would. Right. I would easily do it. He submitted to a polygraph test, which indicated he was lying when he denied any knowledge of the theft or location of the artwork. Oh. 
Then Tao maintained he was telling the truth and demanded a retest. Yeah, well, uh, guess what? He got that retest. Oh, he got that And retest. during the retest, he said that Elaine had once showed him the missing Rembrandt self-portrait, to which the polygraph machine indicated he was telling the truth. Ah, uh, okay, so maybe he didn't know. Gentile's lawyer felt the veracity of Gentile's claims were being affected by the large presence of federal agents. He requested a smaller meeting in hopes that it would get him to speak honestly. Right. In the more intimate meeting, Gentile maintained that he did not have any information. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I think he was just a a, a guy. I just seen it, right? Right, and he knew something wasn't right. So when he took that well, he first, knew, let's let's be honest, he knew right. some. He knew who he, did it, right? And he uh, and we, but he didn't. He know. knew who did it, but he did it. He just never got the paintings handed over to him like the, uh, that. Uh, right, the, the Lane chick said. Right, he just heard hearsay or whatever. Right, he knows. Right. A few days later, FBI stormed into his house in Manchester. They had a search warrant. The FBI found a secret ditch beneath a false floor in the backyard shed, but found it empty. Oh, you might have known. Gentile I'm, sure, I'm sure they had uh, people right. in the they're police like, department. They were like, you better empty that shit now because they're, they're coming. Gentile's boss was like, anything you got, yeah, get out of that true. area. Yeah. Gentile's son explained that the ditch flooded a few years prior, and his father was, was upset about whatever was stored there. Oh, So he did have something there, but it flooded and mm, it ruined it. Ruined it. Oh, In the basement, they found a copy of the Boston Herald from March 1990, reporting the theft along with a piece of paper indicating... What each piece might sell for on the black market. Really? Okay. Well, that's weird, right? Right. Beyond this, no conclusive evidence was, fo- was found to indicate he had ever had the paintings or knew where they were, right? Jen Chow went to prison for 30 months on drug charges. So they sent him. To- <laughs> so we just sent him <laughs> for a year and a half. I'll give him their year and a half. It'd be or right. two years and two a half. Two years and a half. Um,. That's a little incriminating when you have a paper that says how much they might go. Right. Well, if he did know information about the theft, at no point did he opt to share it, which would have reduced the sentence or freedom from prison. He's like, I'll do my two and a half years. Right. After getting out of prison, he spoke with investigative reporter Stephen Kirkjian, claiming he was framed by the FBI. He explained how the imprisonment was detrimental to his finances and personal life. He also explained that the list found in his basement was written up by a criminal trying to broker return of the works from... Garente and was talking to Gentile as an intermediary. What? He claims the list was written by... Uh, he said it was framed by the FBI. He said the the list of what the art might go for was written by an intermediary who was trying to negotiate the return to the um, the museum, which could lend credence to the one guy that, that sent the note to the museum curator and said We're neg- we want to negotiate the, the uh, return of it because we have no use for it no right. more. Remember? Right. Right. When asked about what could have been in the ditch, Gentile could not recall, but believed it would have been small motors. Small motors. <laughs> I don't know why you would keep small motors small in, a in a ditch underneath, underneath a, shed. a shed. Yeah, I don't know about hmm. that. Small motors. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, so now that lends credence to the dude that tried to negotiate the returns. Right. Wow, okay, so this just keeps getting weirder and weirder. It does. I don't understand it here. I'm trying to figure out what yeah, the hell is going know, on here. I'm, Every time I think I got it, I, know. I don't. It just takes another turn, right. dude. Well, David Turner was another associate of Merlino. Okay. The FBI began investigating him in 1992 when a source told them Turner had access to the paintings. Hmm. Merlino was arrested that same year for cocaine trafficking and told authorities that he could return the paintings for a reduced prison sentence. So okay, Merlino knows where they are. Now Merlino's saying I can return the paintings oh, okay. for reduce. Okay. Yeah, but they're not going to charge you for yeah, that but, anyway. But so why were they? Ni- why this were they? Re- ninety two though. It was only two years. Right. He asked Turner to track down the paintings. Mm. Turner failed to. So he though. didn't know where they are because right. he asked Turner to track them down. Right. Turner failed to, and he heard that they were in a church in South Boston, in Southie. All oh, those Southies, right. huh? Another associate. Another associate arrested in the drug sting told authorities about Turner's involvement in several break-ins, but never mentioned the Gardner heist. Right. Based on conversations with Merlino after his release from prison in the mid-90s, authorities gathered that Merlino never had direct access to right. the paintings, but possibly could broker for the return because yeah. he probably knew. Oh, I mean, he's yeah. Merlino. He's, he yeah, runs the shit around right. there, and he knows somebody that knows somebody. Somebody has it. Right. So he he was just trying to do that, too. Maybe get a lighter sentence. Well, despite, didn't his, work. despite his claims of innocence, the FBI believes he may have been one of the thieves. That's David Turner, not Merlino. Right, by the way. Turner. Yeah. Right. Despite Turner's claims of innocence, the FBI believes he may have, he may have been one of the thieves. Evidence indicates that he went to Florida to pick up a cocaine order just days before the heist, and credit card records suggest 
He remained there through the night of the robbery. Oh. But some investigators believe this may have been Turner's attempt at creating oh, an alibi. Oh, anybody can say anything. Well, he may have done this. He may I mean, have done true. that. It's true. It's true. The FBI thinks the other thief was his friend and Merlino associate George Reisfelder. 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 He died in July of 91. Oh. No clues were found. Well, maybe he got capped, huh? Right. No clues were found in his apartment or the homes of friends and relatives. Got but his Hillary siblings Clinton. recall a painting similar to Ches Tortoni in his bedroom. <laughs> Dude right. just hanged it on it. Right. He just hung it on his wall. Uh, uh, Investigators uh. believe he looks similar to the Slimmer Man in the police sketches. Okay, this is all just some stupid oh, shit here. Oh, it's just hearsay. This and, is just dumb. Oh, I believe he could right. be. I mean, 1999, the FBI arrested Turner, Marlano, Rossetti, and others. There we go with the others again. In a sting operation the day they planned to rob the Loomis Fargo vault. Okay. When the FBI brought Turner in for questioning, they told him they had information that he participated in the Garner robbery and that he returned the paintings. Guess what, <laughs> bud? You can just walk out that door. <laughs> what a bunch of liars. Hey, man. You know that wasn't. Hey, man. You know. You just you take us. damn well that you, wasn't happening. You take us to those paintings and you can leave right from there. Well, guess what? Turner told authorities he did not know who stole the paintings, nor where they could be hidden. Right, he ain't stupid. He's like, dude, <laughs> I wish I could. If I did know where they're at, I'll gladly tell you because I'd love this to go home right now. I don't think it would. I had some jambalaya. Uh, jambalaya? How you say it? Jambalaya. Jambalaya uh, on the old uh, on the old stove. Why? It's not from New Orleans. Maybe you want it. Maybe like jambalaya. Crab. Right. Whatever. I'm, I'm, they're I'm, in Massachusetts. Right. He's like, I just need to go home. <laughs> if I knew where it was well, at, I would tell you. In his 2001 trial, he claimed entrapment oh. that the FBI let the Loomis Fargo plot proceed so they could pressure true. him for information about the Gardner painting. I think that's true. The jury found him guilty, and he was sent to prison. What? Turner knew Gentile through Gorante, and in, in 2010, wrote a letter to Gentile asking if he could call Turner's, for, Turner's former girlfriend to assist him recovering the Gardner's painting. What? Cooperation with the FBI. Gentile spoke with Turner's girlfriend. She told him that Turner wanted him to speak with two of his ex-convict friends in Boston. Hmm. The FBI wanted Gentile to meet the men and to send an FBI undercover agent with him. He was like, you're going to meet the man and we're going to send somebody there in the background who's going to... be an undercover guy, right. but he's going to act... It's going to be one of your friends, pretty much. But Gentile was like... <laughs> Sorry, bud. I cannot do that. I'm not willing to do that. I will nope. die. That's a that's a suicide mission. Turner was freed in November in 2019, wow. one month after Stephen Rossetti. Wow, look at all these guys gone out of the thing now. Except for Merlini, because he died in prison in 2005. Merlino, but yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I believe our last suspect that they uh, had in mind, criminal Bobby Donati, was murdered in 1991 in the midst of a gang war with the Patriarcha. Sorry, guys, if that's wrong. Patriarcha crime family. P-A-T-R-I-A-R-C-A. Patriarcha, Patriarcha, whatever. Patriarcha. His involvement in the Gardner theft was suspected after notorious New England art theft. Miles J. Connor Jr. spoke with authorities. Connor was in jail at the time of the heist, but he believed Donati and criminal David Houghton were the masterminds. Mm. Connor had worked with Donati in past art heists and claimed the two seized the Gardner Museum where Donati took interest in the finial. Oh, so Donati was like, I really like that eagle uh, finial on top of that flag. Huh? Maybe. Connor also claimed that Houghton visited him in jail after the heist and said that he and Donati organized it and were going to use the paintings to get Connor out of jail. Okay, this is which, new information here. No, which leads to credence of the one letter that the chick was sent that said we were going to use them for... Um, right. Bait to get him out of jail, remember? Well, if get somebody is, out of jail. Well, if this is true, they likely borrowed the idea from Connor as he returned art to reduce sentences in the past. Mm. Even though Donati and Houghton's appearances did not fit the witness descriptions, Connor suggested they probably hired lower-level gangsters to carry out the robbery, which is most likely. Right. Like Donati, Houghton also died within two years of the robbery, though... From an illness rather than murder. So we'll never know about those guys, huh? Right. Connor told investigators he could assist in returning the Gardner Works in exchange for the museum's postal reward and his freedom. Uh, it's not going to work like that, Connor. Right. When investigators did not give in to Connor's demands because of lack of evidence, he suggested they speak with criminal and antiques dealer William P. Youngworth. Okay. 
acting on Connor's lead, the FBI opened a case on Youngworth. He just said, speak with him, not open a case right. on nights. And conducted raids. Jeez, oh, conducted raids on his home oh, and antique man. store properties in the 90s. Jeez. Oh, jeez. The raids caught the attention of journalist Tom Mashberg, who began talking with Youngsworth in 1997 about the theft. One night in August 1997, Youngworth called Mashberg, told him he had proof he could return the Gardner paintings under the right conditions. Under the right conditions. That very night, Youngworth picked up Mashberg from the Boston Herald offices and drove him to a warehouse, Red Hook, Brooklyn. Youngworth led him inside to a storage unit, several large cylinder tubes. He removed one painting from its tube, unfurled it, and showed it to Mashberg under a flashlight. Mm. I told you. It appeared to Mashberg to be the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Oh, I bet it was. He noticed cracking along the canvas, of course and the edges were cut in a manner consistent with the museum's reports, Obviously. as well as Rembrandt's signature on the ship's rudder. Wow. Mashberg wrote about his experience in the Boston, Boston Herald, leaving out details to hide Youngworth's identity and the painting's location. Oh. He reported that his informant, quote-unquote, who was presumably Youngworth, right. told him the robbery was pulled off by five men and identified two. Donati was one of the robbers, and Houghton was responsible with moving the art to a safe house. So maybe it was Donati and Houghton, after all. Really? Okay. The FBI discovered the location of the warehouse several months later and raided it, finding nothing. The veracity of Youngworth's claims and authenticity of the painting shown to Mashberg is disputed. Youngworth supplied paint ships to Mashberg. Federal authorities reported that they were indeed from Rembrandt's era but did not match oils used for the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Well, they took more than one Rembrandt, so maybe it was another one. Did they even think to test the other Rembrandt? I don't, I don't understand. The way Mashburn described the painting as being unfurled has been scrutinized, as the stolen painting was covered with a heavy varnish that would not... That's what I was saying. It's not like you could just roll right. these things. They're oil. They would crack. That's and... what I'm saying. That's why it cracked. That's why he said it cracked. Yeah, but... Still, you're not going to roll it up and keep unrolling it and rolling it up. It's not having its oil. Yeah, that's true. Uh, federal you shouldn't even roll it up in the first place. Right, idiots. Federal wow. authorities, right. Federal authorities in the museum began working with Youngworth and Mashberg's story was, when Mas- Mashberg's story was published, but Youngworth made negotiations difficult. He would not work with authorities unless his demands could be met, which included full <laughs> immunity, which uh, rightfully so, right. and Connor's release from jail. So. Oh. Youngworth is in on the um Oh this is already yours. Youngworth is in on the um in the gangs with the gangsters. Right. He's just, this dude's just an okay. art, art and antique dealer too. Right. So yeah, look at that. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The authorities were skeptical of Youngworth's ferocity and only offered partial immunity. How do you give no, I want full. Right. The United States attorney overseeing the case eventually seized talks with Youngworth unless he could buy, provide more reliable evidence that he had access to the Gardner works. Uh. Youngworth again provided a, a vital of oh Youngworth again provided a vial of paint chips reportedly from the storm of the Sea of Galilee and twenty five color photographs of painting and a lady and gentleman in black oh so twenty five color photographs that right. these guys supposedly took of them huh right a joint statement from the museum and federal investigators announced that the chips were not from the stolen Rembrandts. Mm. Though they did test as being from 17th century uh, paintings and could potentially be the concert. So uh, that was one Either of the paintings way. stole from the damn right. thing. Either way. Wow. And how do they know? For, wait a minute, though. How do they know if they were from um, the Storm of Galilee anyways? Like they have right, they these got, samples of them on, on well, file got, or they something? Got, <laughs> they got other uh, paintings. That was the Rembrandt. only seascape from Rembrandt ever painted. Right. So I guess you would know, know what, what it was made out of and what paint, what paint was used. used and, yeah. Yeah. In 2014, investigative reporter Stephen Kirk Kirkjian wrote to gangster Vincent Ferrara, Donati's superior during the gang war, inquiring if he had information about the Gardner theft. Oh, okay. He received a call back from an associate at Ferrara who explained the FBI was wrong in suspecting the Merlino gang's involvement and claimed that Donati organized the robbery all by himself. Really? The caller explained that Donati visited Ferrara in jail about three months before uh, the theft, and the latter was charged for murder. After the latter was charged for murder. So Ferrara's in jail for murder right, right. now. And told Ferrara that he was going to do something to get him out of jail. So mm. wait, at first it was to get Connor out of jail, now it's to get Ferrara right. out of jail? Three months later. Why does this just keep... Dude, this is like a road in like 
Switzerland right. or something. It just Obviously, it's, it it's, keeps bending it's, around the damn bends and nobody knows what's which, going on. Which clearly it was a uh, mafia. These guys are just running these guys oh, around right now. Clearly it was a mafia job. Three months later, Ferrara heard news about the Gardner theft. After which, Donati visited him again and confirmed to Ferrara that he was involved in robbery. <laughs> they don't. They don't record the phone calls. He or claimed like to the, have uh, visitation phones. Right. He he claimed to have buried the artwork and would start a negotiation for release once the investigation cooled down. Negotiations never occurred because Donati was murdered. Mm, maybe right. Kirkshin believes Donati was motivated to free Ferrara from prison because Ferrara could protect him in the gang war. <sighs> Okay. Well, meanwhile, a friend of Garante also corroborated that Donati organized robbery and that Donati gave paintings to Garante when he became concerned for his own safety. Oh, jeez. Donati was close friends with Garante. The two were seen at Social Club in Revere shortly before the robbery with a bag of police uniforms. <sighs> I'm so confused what? about all of this. Right. Thing. I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> There's so many. And why they got a bag of police uniforms? Oh, jeez. Because they were the guys that were dressed... I don't know. What is... I don't... These past five paragraphs <laughs> are the most stupidest shit I've ever heard in my whole entire life. It sounds like... At some point, it sounds like the, the Merlino gang is giving the runaround to the cops. It but, sounds like to me, the cops, the the mob, and all that were involved, and they could not get a straight story from nobody. That, but That's also... Also... It's not a straight story from anybody. Also, it lines run up. Around. It, it, some of this also lines up with the letter that the the museum curator was sent. Like we yeah. we were trying to get this guy out of jail, but the time has passed, so now we're not negotiating the release of these to you. Blah 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 blah. So this all we've seen that <laughs> twice now that they were going to negotiate a release for somebody that right. was in prison. Right. So I don't know. Dude. Right. This is, <laughs> well, no, no wonder why this is right. If, if stupid people like us can't right. even solve it, then it. And yet, I mean, nothing still FBI makes sense. Has not I mean, I have it. a theory of what's going on here. So does everybody else. Jeez. Clearly, what happened is, uh, oh man. To this day, none of the stolen artwork has been recovered. The museum, stupid FBI, <laughs> and the United States Attorney's Office are seeking, are still seeking viable leads that could result in a safe return of the art. Mm. The museum is offering a $10 million. Oh, that's it now, huh? $10 million reward for information leading directly to return of the stolen artwork. A share of the work will be given in exchange for information leading to the restitution of any portion of the works. A separate reward of $100,000 being offered for return of the Napoleonic Eagle finale. Napoleonic? Right. Finial. Finial. Anyone with information, please. <laughs> but you know, please. Any, anybody out there that's hearing this thing that might have information. <laughs> anybody about the have chip, information please. of this? Please, please contact the Gardner Museum directly. Confidentiality is assured. <laughs> that's straight from their website, by right. the way, because right. um, it's still up there to this day. Right. You can um, easily do it. Confidential. Just, just say you're anonymous. Just phone them and get these say, damn artwork. Say back. I'm an anonymous caller and I, I got information on the Gardner Museum. Because now I'm never, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna have a full life if I don't know who stole these somebody, damn paintings. Somebody, please man. do it, please. Because <laughs> this don't. What? The, yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, this is the most <sighs> ridiculous. This is the most convoluted and. No, it makes sense. This was everything to do with organized crime. Nothing made sense. No. It's Nothing every, made yeah, sense. Because it's, it's everything to do with organized crime and police working together here. Yeah, yeah. And it was never going to be but, solved. But whatever, it was never but whatever information they put out didn't make sense. Uh, of course. It could be this. And I think they did this because of this. It's perfect. But, but, but it also could be this guy. And it's I think perfect. they did it because of this. It's perfect. It's perfect for the real guys to get away. Jeez. Which is politicians and... Uh, uh, the mafia guys probably stole it and sold it to a politician or some shit. You never know. I don't know. Um, holy crap, my brain hurts after that one, guys. If um, if you guys know any other leads or anything <laughs> right. that we missed, go ahead and uh, email us at bangdangpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if, if we missed any uh, new evidence that has... Uh, uh, Did they catch the guys? Uh, Did they solved this crime? Because I've looked up... 
If it's Pretty solved, looked up anything that I could, and then nothing's been recovered so far of any of these paintings. And this if you is, guys got information on where these paintings are, <laughs> don't contact the museum. Contact no, us. Contact first. us. <laughs> Other than that, first contact us with the location, and then contact us. Wait, and then we'll contact the <laughs> authorities. That's gonna do it for this episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers. Holy, Stupid. holy this smokes! Dumb, this is the dumbest story I've ever heard in my life. Nobody knows what the hell's going on here. This has been on ever since the FBI took fucking control of it. They just they fumbled everything. Everything. This whole thing. The the FBI is so stupid. (laughs) I swear. (laughs) They don't know. This could be this. This could be that. This could be this. They knew exactly what it was. Knew exactly what it was. If you guys are interested, wow. In other uh, American history, we also do a show called Battles of the American Civil War, where, as the title suggests, we Go through every single battle of the American Civil War from every the first battle of Fort Sumter all the way to the last battle. We're talking about skirmishes or run-ins. Yeah, it doesn't matter if no they matter were a what. major battle or not. If it happened and they, uh, if there, if there was gunfire exchange, doesn't matter if it was one shot accidentally. We cover what happened from beginning to end. That's Battle of the American Civil War. Wherever you find your podcasts, and we'll be back next the, week. Uh, we're on the uh, end of 1861 and 1862, folks. Is when people realize, uh, guys, this is a war. This is this is uh, not what I signed up for, right, guys. This is, this is a we've war. already had we've already had instances of that of soldiers are like this is not what we signed up for. Right. And they're about to get a we're whole not, lot more. We're than not they've getting for. we're not getting 162 wounded and missing from here on out. Mm-hmm. We're getting thousands, thousands, thousands dead, tens of thousands. Yeah. Ridiculous. Battles of the American Civil War, wherever you get your podcast. As for us, we're still trying to wrap our head around what the hell just <laughs> happened in this know. episode. So. I'm going to have to read this whole episode again yeah, just to uh, understand it. Have to, wow. Uh, we'll be back next week for Outlaws and Gunslingers. We are the Mouth of Michiganders with Bang Dang. <laughs>